0: Hello space fans, it is Space Junk Podcast time, and this week Dustin Gibson and I got together with Ian Lauer, also from OPT Telescopes, to talk about the general overarching topic of why astronomy matters. And we took the approach to this time of not being philosophical about it, but what were some of the practical ways that astronomy as a science has benefited our culture and our technology, and what were some of the spin-offs that have gotten from astronomy, and is it better, do you think, to build large, billion-dollar-scale ground-based observatories, or can we now use consumer-grade equipment to do meaningful astronomy research? Why astronomy matters in this episode of Space Junk Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from deepastronomy.space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. All right. Hey, everybody. We're back and we're talking this time. I have a special treat. Ian Lowers here from OPT. Are you out there, Owen? Or Owen? Ian? (laughs) (laughs) Owen's not here, but... uh. Owen's Owen's (laughs) not. I don't know where that came from, man. I'm like, Owen? (laughs) And and I guess you sit next to Dustin out there in OPT World Headquarters. And Dustin, you're out there too?
1: Hey, what's up, Tony? We are running like crazy. So I've got about... Uh, this hour sitting here and then I immediately leave here to get on a plane, I'm going to be in three States in the next what, four days. Um, so I'm headed to Arizona for space fest and then straight from there to Pennsylvania,
0: actually you'll be flying out in right.
1: what the next day to meet me in Pennsylvania, we're doing, oh, cool. uh, you're
0: going out there. So you're going out there with him then to, to, uh, Pennsylvania. Yep. Yep. Yeah,
1: we're doing oh, the cool. event out there um, at the Muddy Run Observatory. That one's open to the public too, which is pretty cool. And then um, New York City for me right after that. And Ian's coming back here, so it's uh, it's going to be a crazy ride, man.
2: Yeah, awesome. And, uh, we just did Julian Starfest last weekend. The week before that, we were out in Landers. <laughs> it
1: never stops. So I know, busy, man. So yeah, it's a
0: busy time. Busy time. It sounds like you guys are constantly yeah. moving. So on the run. Well. Yeah. So today we thought we'd get together and talk about just the overarching issue of astronomy, because we all get warm, fuzzy feelings about it. This podcast is about astronomy. It's about amateur astronomy and the hobby and why we look up and all this stuff. And today we thought we'd give a little chat about the why Why does astronomy matter? What's what's important about astronomy, not just in our philosophical lives and, and our place in the universe and all that stuff, but what what good has come from astronomy and, and as a broader question from science in general? So Dustin, Nean, and I thought we'd talk about this. And uh, it's also a bit of a connection to the talk that Dustin's going to be giving out in Pennsylvania. So I don't know, guys, who wants to get started?
1: Yeah, I can I can dive in. So, uh, yeah, the talk in Pennsylvania is about not just why it matters, but kind of how it's changing and how it's staying relevant. Um, you know, everything. I mean, we talk about it all the time, but. You used to have to spend six, $7,000 on your CCD camera to get into this the right way, you know, and now you can buy a camera for under $1,000, these CMOS cameras, and it's opening the door for a lot of people to get involved And The more people you have doing it, obviously, the more the bounds are kind of pushed, you know, um, on what is being done. And it's a really good thing, but we're not just seeing that with consumers. We have this kind of unique perspective where we also get to work with the professionals and the same thing is happening there where for different reasons, you're seeing kind of this rapid evolution of the entire process. And so, I mean, you've worked in professional astronomy. uh, That's right. Tony. And so, you know that there's no such thing as a cheap astronomy project. No. You know, (laughs) if if you want to do it, if you really want to push the envelope, at least, you know, if you really want to do something that's brand new and you're trying to really push the bounds, get right there on the edge of human knowledge, you're going to spend some money. We're talking money. I mean, it's 200 million to a billion dollars. I think the the uh, 30 meter, what what does that thing cost, Ian?
2: It's like over a billion dollars. Yeah,
1: it's like 1.4 billion, I think is what it said. And then, you know, the GMT is um, about a billion dollars. And it's just so much money. Um, and obviously, you know, I, I support these projects. I think that you've got to have these these state-of-the-art systems, if you want to explore the universe around you, if you really want to get new knowledge of what's there, you have to reach further. And that's what these systems are designed to do. Um, I mean, they have you know, many times the resolution of Hubble, even from the ground. And so it's very, very important. But I really like the fact that the technology is at a place now, the computing power is at a place now that Research that couldn't be done before with a space telescope or couldn't be done before with a billion-dollar project can be done at a very, very small fraction of the price just because the computing power has caught up, just because that technology has caught up. We're we're able to use off-the-shelf systems. To get the resolutions that
0: before never would have been possible by linking everything together and, and processing it
1: all together as one.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess right now everything is all about scalability and and Moore's law. While it's still going on, I mean, this is this this is this idea that that technology is growing at an exponential rate. Things like transistors and and computing power, memory, memory capacity, all of these things are growing at an exponential rate. We're finally at a point now where we can take smaller, more inexpensive systems, put them all together in a, in a scalable way and turn them into supercomputers. Uh, people are even doing it with things like the Raspberry Pi, which is just a, a little handheld hobbyist uh, risk processor computer. It's a computer on a board and you can scale those up and do some pretty meaningful computing with it. So you're right about that, that, that things are becoming scalable and because using affordable off-the-shelf equip- equipment. In fact, the, the one example that I have of this, of professional research being done using off-the-shelf equipment, comes from the world of exoplanet studies. I mean, exo, the science of exoplanets was done, that, that's detecting planets around other stars was done using a 1.2, an F1.2 Schmidt camera on an LX200 mount. And they took light curves from the parking lot of an observatory in Boulder. And that's how the very first, among the very first exoplanets were studied and measured. And it has, of course, been exoplanet research, uh, Really benefits from a lot of things like space telescopes and large apertures and things like that, but it can also be done with scalable hobby level optical instrumentation and cameras. So that's one example that I can think of where the an entirely new science was born out of off the shelf equipment. Yeah, have you ever heard of the Dragonfly Telephoto Array? Yes, I did. That's um, that's also that's another example. That's right. That I, I forget the focal length, but they used Canon. Off the shelf canon telephoto lenses, didn't they? Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. And so it started with eight lenses, right? But then the idea was you can keep adding to it, and they they did. Um, so now it's two clusters of twenty-four lenses, right? And with 48 lenses, the idea is so each one of these lenses is relatively small, but if you can process all of the information together, you have essentially a one meter telescope, right? And that's right. And so, yeah, I mean it's it's ninety-nine centimeters is what you're getting. So you think about that. It's like, if you take that idea and the scalability of it, because you can start with eight and then you can go to 48 and you can go to a thousand, you can go to whatever you want, as long as the computing power can keep up. And so what we're seeing is what if you start with, instead of Canon lenses, what if you start with, um, you know, F2 Rosses? Yeah. or yeah. you start with, um, you know, 14 inch telescopes and you do a hundred of them. Then you have versatility. So you you maybe you don't have your 30 meter telescope where you're going to get the best data ever on this one spot, this one target at a time. But now you have the versatility that you can point all of them at the same place and get absurd resolution or you can do the entire sky. You've got 100 systems that you can do full sky surveys, you know, every night. And um, this is the kind of thing that I think is really that versatility is a lot to give up. And, um, you know, well, so is the resolution on the other side, but for the cost that's involved, I think you're gonna see more and more of that type of thing being done.
0: Yeah, but if you're talking about cost, that's one thing. And you're right, this this can help alleviate some of that. But there are just some things, I don't care what you say, That uh, that aperture is just there's just no substitute for aperture and you're going to have to get the resolution or you're just not going to image certain things. And that's why I still argue that we need these large ground based observatories like the TMT, like the GMT, all of these telescopes that are being considered and on the drawing board should be built because there's just some things we can't do with them. Now we've talked in past podcasts why while how all of this might be precluded if we have a night sky that can't be usable. So if we've got, you know, 200,000 satellites whizzing through the field of view of all these telescopes, the whole thing's moot. But I there are still things that cannot be done with uh, without aperture. And, I agree uh, with that. There's and just I, no way around it.
1: I don't mean to say that they're going to be Completely replaced by it. I'm just saying that if you're looking this as a scalable model, which one lasts longer? You have observatories all around the world that are just simply outdated. You know they were built in the early 1900s, and now they're they're beautiful to look at. They're neat, but they're you know very expensive, gigantic paperweights, not really doing anything. (laughs) And um, the truth is, like it doesn't take long for the technology to be outdated. And when you're committing a billion dollars to something that cannot easily be changed, that thing. Is going to be what it is. It seems to me that you're going to see more people committing to the model of, you know, why don't we build 100 now? We can build 100 more tomorrow. We can we can upgrade each of these scopes individually at a very low cost. We can change the entire system at a low cost. It's nimble, and I don't think that you're going to say like a, you know, a 30 meter telescope is nimble. <laughs> Or, you know, you're not changing. You're getting what you get and you can ride it out. But ultimately, you know, it's not going to be something that evolves with the times.
2: So, Tony, these big telescopes that we're constructing, uh, like the TMT, the 30 meter telescope in Hawaii, for example, what type of research are they doing, you know, that maybe these commercial off the shelf products can't do?
0: Well, that was just the point I was about to make, and I'm glad you brought that up, because none of these things are being built just because. Uh, they have very well-defined science use cases that these things need to need to meet. And in the case of uh, the 30-meter telescope and telescopes like it, we need to be able to directly image exoplanets, for example. That's something that cannot be done without very sophisticated uh, optical systems that also have high resolution, and right. at the wavelengths that we care about. Also, measuring the early universe you know you simply cannot string a bunch of canon lenses together big enough to be able to image the early universe and so these are these are well-defined use cases that must be mailed or there's no point in building the telescope. So to your point, Dustin, when you say something like, well, these things can't be changed easily, and that's true. You're absolutely right. That doesn't mean they're not going to be useful for a very good long time because they're not being built for no reason. They have to meet this science use case. And if they built meet that science use case, then they've made their money on it. And that's what the currency is for science and, and for astronomy in particular is, can you make the science requirements with this equipment?
2: Okay. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. Well, I mean, if you want to know what the early universe was like, I mean, all we got to do is ask you, Tony. You were there. I know.
0: Yeah. Oh, damn. Oh, I see how regussia hell's going to be. Okay. Damn.
2: It's been a
1: while since Uh, you were in New York together, man. I thought that kind of stuff was in the the past.
0: I I missed you, man. I I I, missed you, Ian. uh, There it was. was. That was right there. There it is. Yeah, well okay. See, we uh we stand yeah, up for I, each other true. here, Tony.
1: Um
0: Yeah, I know. I know you do. Don't be yeah. I'll be be careful.
1: Yeah. Look, I completely agree with you and it and I think that you know, if you if you go from the beginning with the idea that I'm I'm kind of pitching now, then we give up all of the um the understanding of the universe we currently have, you know. We needed um Mount Wilson. You know, with Hubble there doing his work. We need and we still do. We still do. We need these big telescopes. But all I'm saying is I don't think – I think that they're perfect for
0: what they're designed for. I don't think they are nearly as versatile. That's all I'm saying. And so in the getting back to our topic of why astronomy matters and why it gets us to the technology that can be useful to people like you and me, right. that's sort of where this is distilled from. So there will always be things that only 30-meter telescopes can do. But yeah. they they are also what's also true about them is that they will be oversubscribed and they can only do so much. What do we do? So with what we can do, you and I is is follow up, do a follow up observation sure. with uh, with our equipment.
1: Right, exactly. But if you take like the James Webb Telescope for example, I mean it's a perfect example. It is really really great at doing it was what it was designed to do, which is you know spend a lot of government money and give people jobs, but. As, <laughs> okay. <as> far- yeah.
0: <laughs> that okay. All right. I'll let you fair. finish. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> as far as doing astronomy, I haven't seen much come from it, you know. And so I just think that if you take another system and you say, you know, and obviously the type of science it's going to be doing if it ever flies um, can't easily be done from the ground for for a lot of reasons. But all I'm saying is that some of these systems, man, when you're when you're going after. Two billion, or, or even one billion dollars, or even two hundred million dollars—it's a lot. I mean, this project is huge. But when you're starting and you're saying, you know what, we're going to do a project, we're going to do a proof of concept for fifty thousand, and then if it works, we're just going to replicate the hell out of it everywhere, right. and then we're going to be in every right. time zone around the world. Man, you've got twenty-four hour imaging, like you're in space, you know, and you're just racking in the data, bringing all of that data to a centralized location, and. Uh, processing it right i think that's that is amazing that that can be done now
0: well i am not going to sit here and justify the cost of james Webb space telescope because i can't it's we're up to nine billion dollars now aircraft carriers cost that much money i i have a lot of problems with how that program and how that project has been built so in a so it sounds like what you're also asking is the question is this money worth what we're getting? What, you know, is the discoveries worth what we're paying for it? And no one can really answer that question in a objective way. It's all going to be subjective. What, what, whether I think it's worth it. Of course I do. Would rather, I would I rather have James Webb space telescope than another aircraft carrier? Me too. Hell yes. Me too. Yeah, but, I'm with you. but you know, uh, but it is, was it mismanaged? Yes. Was it, was it a job of uh, advertising thing? Of course it was because Northrop Grumman is an, is a military contractor and they don't know how to spend, do anything else, but spend a lot of the government's money. So I'm not going to justify that, uh, because it was mismanaged, could have been done, should have been done for a lot less and it should already be up there. Uh, but is it even with all of this, we have to ask the question: Is it going to be worth it? Uh, what we've paid for it? My answer would be yes. Someone else's so might be hell no. No, I think it will so. be too.
1: And I'm just, I'm just giving, uh, you know, that one a hard time because it's an easy. Well, it target. deserves it. It's an easy. It, tar- yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. But the truth is, yes. Once it flies, it'll, it'll be worth twice what we paid for it. Once it starts bringing that stuff in, it's worth. Yeah, it's worth ten aircraft carriers, in my opinion. You know, we need this knowledge. You're going to forget it, how much it costs. It unifies people. This kind of information unifies
0: the planet. I think it's, it's invaluable. It's right. I mean, remember when Hubble, maybe you don't, when Hubble first launched in 1990, people were pissed and they hated Hubble and they were angry at NASA. NASA was mortified. They were like, you know, walking around with their head, you know, held low because they had fucked up. And, you know, the, a very basic problem in telescopes had been left unchecked on a billion dollar, multi billion dollar project in right. the 1990s. People were pissed. Yeah. And then. The images started coming
1: in and everybody's like, oh, you it's know, okay. We're okay with it guys. <laughs> yeah. Don't even worry about it. It's the greatest That's thing right.
0: ever. Don't even worry yeah. about it. It's
1: not that big a deal. I love
0: <laughs> Hubble. <laughs> Hubble's the most important instrument ever built. Yeah. Oh my God. It's amazing. How easy right? perspective yeah. changes. Yeah. yeah. And of course there's different issues with the, with the TMT right now in Hawaii probably won't get built there now. It's probably going to move to Canary Islands for different reasons, but that is uh i don't know maybe ground-based telescopes aren't as as sexy as the space-based ones and so because you don't ever hear things like oh my god did you see the latest deep field from the vlt in chile no you don't ever hear that you just you just they just rack in the discoveries we've confirmed new exoplanets we've found the earliest galaxies we found the largest black hole ever seen so but that there it's not as Inspiring optically and visually as Hubble had been. So
1: tell me, because I know you you keep up with all the news, and I I don't. Uh, I don't really get a chance to. What is the issue with the thirty meter telescope? Why why do people why are they so against it?
0: Well, um, the overriding problem is that Mauna, Mauna Kea, which is a the a dormant volcano right next to Mauna Loa, which is an active volcano uh, in the Big Island of Hawaii, is sacred to the Native Hawaiians. Mm -hmm. And for decades, uh, astronomers and the science community have built uh, observatories up there with little regard for that sacred notion that that these that the native Hawaiians have had. And the problem is bigger than just astronomy, though, that the. When the Hawaiians, when Hawaii became a state, the the culture of the Hawaiians was also co opted by the culture of the United States, and the tourism and the the commercialism of our culture swamped. The native hawaiians culture so they have felt very abused over the over the decades ever since they became a state and even before that uh when they were first found in the in the polynesian island they were they were naked and they were immediately clothed by the catholics and and told to put on clothes and and you know become decent people and so from the very beginning they've been been uh sort of harassed by Western culture. And it's reached a boiling point. They, they're, they're tired of it. And when I was in Hawaii working in Mauna Loa, you could sense it among the native Hawaiians. Yes, they needed the jobs. Yes, they worked at the resorts and they did the luau's and they did the, the native Hawaiian stuff, the, the da- songs and dances they were supposed to do, but it was humiliating. And that was, but that was the only way they could earn money. Um, and so when the Thirty Meter Telescope project decided they wanted to build a Mauna Kea, to their credit, what they did was they took that that uh, sacredness— uh, that's not a word, but the the sacredness of the Mauna Kea— into account and said, "Look, here's what we will do for you: for every observatory that we decommission." We will do it in such a way as we leave the pro- we leave the mountain exactly as it was found and we will do nothing to damage or, or destroy it. Uh, and we will as we, as we build the 30 meter telescope, we will work with the leaders of the Hawaiian community to build this in a way that's that's as appropriate as can be done to meet both of our needs. And we will also give lots of money on the, on the order of millions and millions of dollars to the native Hawaiians only. And no one else can get it for uh, STEM education. And so to to provide opportunities for Native Hawaiians as well. So they've tried. Now, they're working within a framework that's bigger than them. So they were set up to fail, I think, initially anyway. So so for, I think, three weeks now, over 2,000 Hawaiians have been blocking the saddle road that gets you to Mauna Kea uh, because they don't want this thing built. And so I just saw a news report earlier this week that says that they have reopened their Uh, application for their permit to build in Tenerife right off the, in the Canary islands, right off Spain. So they're probably going, they're probably not building on Mauna Kea now. And they're probably, I, I would, I would be shocked if they ended up building on Mauna Kea in spite of this. So, and the Hawaiians are happy. They're very, very happy about this, which, um, If you think about it, and the the Hawaiian governor, whom I respect what he was trying to do, saying, look, we are so dependent on tourism. What I was thinking would be great is if we had another source of industry on Hawaii, and astronomy is a good one. And that that it would produce jobs and and be another way to earn money besides being in the tourism business. And so I kind of thought it was a good idea. Native Hawaiians had a different idea, though, mostly because they don't trust anybody. They don't, and they have a right. I mean, a reason not to trust anybody. So, so it's a mess. Well, it's a real that, mess. That
1: is. It. It sounds like it. who owns the land that it was going to be built on.
0: I don't know, and I don't. But I don't know that that matters because uh, they consider it sacred.
1: But what I'm saying is, like, if my neighbor says, "Hey," I don't want you to cut down the tree in your yard because it's sacred to me. I'd say this tree is going to whatever I choose to do with the land that I own is what I'm going to do with it. And it really I mean, if you take everything that anyone has considered sacred on this planet, you'll never build anything on a mountain. There's not a mountain on this planet.
0: But if you bought your property with that tree on it that happened to be sacred to your neighbor from uh, people who were already living there and for the sole purpose of tearing that tree down, then you're being rather insensitive, aren't you? How would that appear to somebody yeah, and else not, and why would I'm they sell saying, you that I'm land? I'm not
1: saying that it's not insensitive. What I'm saying is that it's not the way that any of this, in I mean, anything works. You can't just claim make claim to something. If it's that sacred to you, why don't you own it? If it's that sacred, why is it Because it
0: was taken from them?
1: Yeah. Why is it, it taken? They they are the natives. It's, it's like subject. asking the
0: American Indians, Well, what do you, why why are you pissed off that you can't live in uh, you know wherever you want in the United States anymore? Why do I have to live in this reservation? Because it was taken from me. I would like to live in these other places, but the, the Western expansion in the early United States history took all my land. <laughs> and this is the same with the Hawaiians. We came there, or maybe not us particularly, the Americans, but other Europeans came, took the land, said it was theirs, colonized it. What do you do? You know, they took it. They didn't buy it. <laughs> they just took it. And so that's a little different of a situation than what you're outlining. You don't just buy, you're legally buying someone else's property. Yeah, sure. You know, property rights are, are very strong in this country and you have a right to do what you want, but this is a little bit different. But the state itself has control of which land it designates as
1: like, for instance, a national park that can't be built on or whatever. And that's my point is that why wouldn't it be designated as land that could not be built on period if it's that important?
2: I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I don't I'm not an expert enough. Uh, you know, I'm not the, saying like, issues. hey, how come these people that can't afford to buy, why don't you just buy it? I'm not I'm not trying to be an asshole about it. I'm being serious. Like, why <laughs> well good, because it's point. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying an individual, why don't you buy the mountain? I'm saying as a state, right? Why don't you designate this? If this is this important to the state, why don't you designate this yeah. as land that cannot be built on period? Right. Like make it why a why is it open park? at all? Why is this even up for debate? If it's that important, if it's sacred to the people within the state, why is it up for debate? Why not just hey, this is never going to yeah. be built on. Period. It's like nobody's going to build an observatory, a thirty-meter telescope in Yosemite. Nobody's going to have that
2: shit. It's just not right. going to
1: happen. So why isn't it like that? Right. Okay.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I see your point. <laughs> yeah, I see. I see your point. At, at first, I was like, man, that's kind of a that's kind of a, a dick thing to say. Like, oh, well, this. Why don't you just. <laughs> You know, get the <laughs> land back. But now, no, I, I, I see your point now. Like, I totally get your point now. So I agree that why I, not just make and it? And I uh, still
1: think, like, if it's for sale and I buy it, I should be able to control it. Right. Right? And that's what I'm saying. It shouldn't be for sale in the first place right? if you don't want to lose control of it. Right. You're getting to the root
0: of it. I don't think any of the observatories own the property that they've built on. I think it's been some kind of lease and permit arrangement that they can operate for a certain length of time and then get out. Uh, and who, who actually owns it, I can't say. But Uh, I can tell you that this is a problem that has evolved over the decades since the very first telescopes were built, since the Keck Observatory and the Subaru Telescope, all the ones that are currently up there were built decades ago. The problem has evolved. And and all of them will tell you, everybody will tell you that it's not really about astronomy. You know, it's not about, uh, this issue isn't about astronomy as much as it's about, Jesus, when are you people going to stop just disregarding everything that we love? And it's, they're using it as an example as it because it's high profile and it's very well defined they can resist this and they can they can get a lot of attention focused on this problem and i think that it's um we need to remember that that it's not about the mountain only if this is a bigger a bigger issue and how they were treated as a culture for you know maybe 100 years i'm not sure how long but it's been a long time And so that's the real problem. So
2: I'm going to change course a bit and go back to you know why does astronomy matter? And one thing that I, I've <laughs> <laughs> one thing I've I've really been getting into yeah, put the brakes, pump the brakes. Um,
0: yeah, hold on, we're getting. <laughs>
2: um, okay, you know one yes. one of the things I've really been getting uh, interested in is near Earth objects like asteroids, comet impacts and things like that. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's a huge reason why astronomy matters is, you know, we are the first species that we know of that can completely prevent our own annihilation from an asteroid or a comet. And yet we don't really do anything about it. You think
0: it. we can prevent it. How can we prevent I mean it? What, what would, what would So, we- I
2: mean, if we have enough knowledge of it, if we find one and we have enough time to prepare, we can prevent it. And that's what I'm saying. So, you know, and we have, we have the technological capability to deal with asteroids and things like that. We just aren't doing anything about it. You know, that, right. that
0: well, I, okay. So you were talking about big, big up, uh, big up telescopes coming up. The LSST is going to take pictures of the entire sky several times a week. And that is going to be one of the primary science drivers for that is so that they can find these near earth objects. And, and track them and understand them. I don't know, could you do that with a, an array of worldwide smaller telescopes that are off the shelf? Could you Could you do that?
2: I, I think they'd have to be pretty large pieces of debris, you know, and I think the LSST is designed to find, I I don't know the, the specific um, numbers, but it's designed to find, you know, objects that are really, really small that could still cause quite a bit of damage. I mean, you think, like you look in the past, We've been hit so many times. I mean, we just had a close call in uh, 2013 with Chelyabinsk in Russia, right? That meteor came down and blew up and injured over a thousand people, right? Well, if that thing had a little bit more mass or if it was coming in a little bit faster or came in at a steeper angle, instead of, you know, a thousand, you know, injuries, we'd have a thousand fatalities. And I feel like we need to wake up to that. That's something that we need to be paying attention to because we can prevent that, you know, we have the ability to prevent that, we are just not doing anything about it. And I feel like that that's a huge problem right now that we need to face.
0: Yeah, I agree, and it's definitely been underappreciated. I mean, this is this is the you know the when it comes to all the things in in astronomy that we've cared about observing early universe, uh, distant stars, uh, planets around other stars, all these things. uh, This one, this one really directly can ruin our day uh, on any given day, and we just don't know what we don't know. So exactly, well, the first step I think is to get a really good grip of what's out there and where it all is, and the earlier that we can find out whether something is a threat or not, the better. I don't know what we can do about it though. I mean, I I understand, I get what you're saying. We need to, we need to see what the threats are and let's do something about finding those out. But the proposals I've heard about protecting us from near earth objects, like, you know, 200 foot, 300 foot asteroids, they don't sound all that worked out to me. Really? Well, the only one that I kind of liked was that if you paint one side of a huge rock white, Uh, then the radiation pressure from the sun might move it enough uh, to have us have it miss earth. If it's on a trajectory and you do it when it's far enough away, but how are we going to get there? We, we can't even get, to Mars in a, in a timely manner. And it takes years just to get there. Uh, what if we discover it out past Jupiter? What are we going to do and how are we going to, how are we going to deal with it? I've heard about shooting rockets and bombs and all kinds of other things, but that seems to introduce a lot more problems than they solve. So I, I don't know what we do about it. So what you're
2: saying is (laughs) to avoid an asteroid impact, we need to paint it. We need to paint it.
0: Well, that graffiti was one option. You put some, yep. some graffiti. Paint one side. Yeah. Graffiti that sucker. <laughs> get some white spray paint. Get out there. And Banksy that thing, man. Just Banksy the shit out of it. This and is... do whole one side. Well, you it'll... know
2: what? I'm going to I'm gonna call Steven wand coat Yeah, when We see an asteroid coming. Say, <laughs> hey, you need to paint that sucker. Tony
0: is
1: writing the plot for like the worst Armageddon sequel ever. It's like, it's not oil riggers from the Gulf going out there to <laughs> drill into it. It's they just go. like a bunch of graffiti artists from New York
0: City. We'll, yeah. get, we'll get cat. Yes, from yeah. Soho, or Greenwich, Greenwich, Greenwich yeah. Village. Shooting them there. into space with cans of <laughs> spray paint. <laughs> On the USS Picasso, and they're just out there going. Space
2: shuttle <laughs> Picasso. God.
0: Patch- patchouli, patchouli smelling. Even okay, the
1: spacecraft <laughs> looks like a train going into space. You know? <laughs> horrible, <laughs> horrible storyline, Tony
0: you watch it'll rake in millions <laughs> of probably dollars would us, if not probably, <laughs> probably <is>. would <laughs> <laughs> cool. no i am very grateful for nasa's near earth object program i am absolutely grateful they're doing it they've got two spacecraft up there looking at wide areas of the sky in the infrared for just this kind of thing i just don't know what we're going to do about it just day before yesterday neil degrasse tyson was on his star talk thing talking about apophis which is this asteroid that's going to fly by really closely in 2020 2020- 9 I think or 2026 with it's going to get so close to earth that it's going to go underneath the geosynchronous sa- orbit of the satellites that's how close it's going to get to earth it's going to probably knock out a satellite or two and then it's going to come around again in 2020 2036 but where exactly it comes in in 2029 will indicate whether or not it's going to hit earth a few years later so that that's in our lifetime folks that how could big happen is- but I still don't know what How we can do is it about, about this? it. Oh boy, it's like nine hundred meters.
2: Nine hundred meters. So let's say that hits the earth. What kind of damage are we talking about?
0: Uh we're talking, you know, extinction level event there, I think. So but everybody that I've Maybe talked to is not worried about it in twenty twenty <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) let me. (laughs) Maybe you're not worried about it because you're too old, man. (laughs) You're so old. Your life's over. we, We have knowledge
2: of this thing coming and it might hit us. And people are just like, eh. I guess that's all right. We'll deal with it when it comes. No, you're
0: going to see people freaking in a few years. You're going to be – people are going to be freaking. Already, one of my most viewed videos on my channel has been the one I did on the Apophis. So it's – people are already starting oh, to – uh, we're, we're in california we're going to be
1: at the but, epicenter yeah. of all of that trash like all of the stuff where people make this a and it's going to be a new religious cultural experience for for everyone like oh we have this new asteroid and then people are going to start worshiping it and then it's going to be like you know the kool-aid and everything else man
2: and it's it's going to be fun out here i'm sure it's gonna be fun yeah. yeah asteroids coming to hit us it's gonna be a great time we're gonna well well that's the problem though is where <laughs> well, we are
1: we get the people that come in shop to talk about it it's not like we're you know isolated from it we are in the center of it and we'll have people bombarding our doors to come talk about this this thing about how it's gonna be it's gonna be the new 2012 you know
0: Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be way bigger than that, I think. So let me correct myself. I just looked it up. It's 370 meters. That's still uh, pretty big. There. That's huge. And it's pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. So how big was so yeah, uh, that? And uh, what's the
2: one in the early 1900s that hit Siberia?
0: Oh yeah. How big was that? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't know.
2: Cause that I one, know. I remember wow. seeing photos and it looks like you look at all the trees, and they're just completely leveled. It is, it's insane seeing the photos from Tunguska.
0: Yeah, well, as you're speaking, and I'm looking it up on Wikipedia, um, it says that it flattened 2,000 square kilometers of forest, knocked down 80 million trees, and it was a 15 megaton explosion that was 1,000 times greater than the atomic bomb that was dropped on. Oh, man. Uh, It says that it was probably the largest impact event on Earth in recorded history. How big was that one? Uh, it says it, it exploded with an altitude of five to 10 kilometers or three to six miles up in the atmosphere Air burst. So this thing was big, <clears throat> but they don't have a good handle on how big yeah. it was, but it was, yeah. So because it exploded in the a- atmosphere, it's kind of hard to see, but that, yeah. So that would have been like a Chelyabinsk uh, event, but much higher and a much larger. Yeah. And,
2: and like, look at places like um, uh, in Arizona, I think it's Meteor Crater. Mm -hmm. like imagine Mm -hmm. the damage that something like that can do to modern civilization you know how just how insane and again like i said we can at least we have the technology to prevent it we're just not taking the steps to prevent that you know And, and if we are it's minimal i mean the budget of of nasa's neo program i'm sure is minimal and Looking at other countries, they probably look to us to do it, you know, and then whose responsibility is it?
0: (laughs) In fact, NASA's NEO program is so minimal that they actually repurposed uh, 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 the WISE spacecraft, which was a Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, that they had actually turned off back in 2011. They turned it back on uh, and and renamed it NEO-WISE so they could use that same thing to study for near earth objects. So it's, uh, yeah, that they don't have a lot of money for this for sure. And I think they should get more because I agree this should, this should be top. Why are they searching for these things in infrared? They're warm. They're easy to see. Would they always be warm Uh, though? I would think that
1: many would not be warm.
0: Well, they don't, they don't emit light of their own. So they'd only, you'd have to see them with reflected radiation of some kind, whether it's optical or infrared. And I think they'd, you know, do look in the optical, but I think they're a little bit brighter in the infrared because they're made of things like rock and ice and things like that so but the wavelengths of neowise is pretty wide so i think that goes into the near infrared as well and you could see it probably in the optical but i don't have that in front of me but that's why
2: okay so dustin if an asteroid was coming towards us and we had two weeks to prepare sure what would be your plan of attack
1: step one call bruce willis Oh. You know, I've already seen this play out.
0: <laughs> I'm getting. I'm going to. I'm. I'm buying white spray paint. I'm calling Steven Swancoat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steven, you out there? No, <laughs> I call? really. I, I'm amazed at the the fact
1: that um, we're working at all on stopping an event like this. I mean, it's just like I think it's so amazing that we have the technology to even consider being able to change our fate in that way. If something's coming, at, I mean, something that large coming at us, and that we have uh, the technology to potentially stop it amazes me you know i think that's incredible but i don't know the first thing about how it would actually happen i've heard everything from like the little toe where like the gravity toe right type thing but i apparently that takes a long time and it would have to have multiple orbits like to, nudging
2: it out of the way yeah
1: exactly like slowly uh pulling or pushing out of the way i guess it'd be pulling right yeah but i don't um i don't know the first thing about how it stops other than you know my my first guess would have just been hey they're gonna shoot a nuke at it and just try to blow it into pieces, but I guess that's not the best plan. <laughs> that's not, that's not how one. it
2: works, yeah. You turn a slug into a <laughs> right bunch of pellets hitting us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At high yeah. velocity. Well, you know, Stephen Hawking, one of the last things that he was... <clears throat> you know, one of the last things he was really adamant about was preparing the human race for asteroid impacts yeah. or comet impacts.
1: Extinction level events. Yeah,
2: because it's something that we can deal with. And again, like I keep saying, we're not doing much about... I think Neil Tyson was quoted saying we would need 10 years to prepare for uh, an event <clears throat> or 10 years of foreknowledge to do something about an asteroid. Is that what it in. takes 10 years? According to him I I don't really study it but <laughs> yeah you know you probably trust what he's saying uh, I'd imagine. <laughs> at least on that topic yeah 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 <laughs> so I, I don't know yeah. what we would do but we I mean the dinosaurs didn't have telescopes or maybe they did and we just don't know but <laughs> those short arms that those t-rexes got have a hard time focusing yeah they probably had very very,
0: (laughs) can't reach the focus very very different focusers
2: (laughs) (laughs) but it wiped out it wiped out all the dinosaurs man and you know
0: maybe there'll be one that will wipe all of us out i think what you do about it is going to depend a lot on the particulars and how soon we find it i mean every month i uh, i read something in my newsfeed about you know this asteroid that nobody knew was coming just got this the astro an asteroid the size of a school bus just whipped by within the orbit of moon and the earth uh nobody even knew it was there and so we're we're seeing this stuff all the time but if that's when we're going to be detecting it then there's nothing we can do if we're if we're detecting it by the time it gets to the moon uh i think we're you know we're we're pretty much gone but if we can detect it maybe way out there in the outer solar system maybe that's what neil tyson's talking about is we could, you know give it give it far enough out there so we can do something about it but then the the time when it's the easiest to deal with it is when it's really really far away and we can't get anywhere in any reasonable amount of time in the solar yeah system. well you so i don't you know remember we when do we,
1: were, we were talking to phil plate about this you remember that and he was saying that mm-hmm. um the problem will always be or at least with the the current technology that finding these things always seems to happen Right. As they're on top of you, that you just can't, you can't see them until they're on top of you. Or actually he was saying until they pass you and are moving away from you. So I I don't know why that is though. It just doesn't make sense. It seems like if it's coming from the direction of the sun, that would make sense. But coming from, from outside. The solar system, it seems like you would be able to see it the entire time optically.
2: Yeah, but no one's looking for it. That's the problem.
0: That's right. That's what LSST is designed specifically to address. They're going to look at the whole sky every couple of or a couple times yeah. a week. So they'll find any. They'll find really up to whatever their resolution comes uh, down to. And I, don't, I, I think if they go down to magnitude 25. I'm not quite sure. Twenty-three or twenty-five, something like that. So that's something you're not going to get with an off-the-shelf yeah. equipment either. So yeah, we LSST comes gets first light hopefully next year. So it's going to be imaging the entire sky. It'll be doing a lot of other things with that those data. But there's a lot of there's a lot of astronomy that can be done with entire surveys of the of of the sky uh, dumped down every couple of or c- a couple. What of times a cool a what a so, cool
2: job title that would be. You know, oh, I work in planetary defense. Yeah, you feel like yeah. an Avenger.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, NASA NASA has a guy that does that as Planetary Defense Officer. There's, the all, there's also such a planetary a protection Bad officer. Yeah.
2: Title, man. Wow. <laughs> what do you do for work? Planetary Defense. <laughs> by myself. Yeah, <laughs> the I'm one t- guy. Yeah. <laughs> by
0: myself. <laughs> <laughs> by myself. I have a secretary who sets up my calendar. So I have that. So you're have defending Earth, Earth on this day
2: and at uh, this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Hello, you've reached the Planetary Defense Office. We can't come to the phone right now, but uh, if you leave a message, we'll get back in touch with you. (laughs) Yeah, that is a. (laughs) Well, you know, another threat. Okay, astronomy matters in another way. And that is another thing Phil Plate talked to us about, which is solar. Flares and solar activity hitting the Earth, coronal mass ejections, and apparently some of them can be quite devastating. I don't know that they're as devastating as a direct impact from a an apophis-sized asteroid, but the right CME coming our direction at the right time can ca- give us all a very bad. Path. What is so, it that's being ejected? Well, that's another in the CME? Uh, electrons and uh, uh, plasma, Large essentially particles. from the mostly electrons on the order of 10 to the 23 grams. I know this because I used to study them and they, so there's, there's a lot of uh, mass coming our way, but the real thing is the magnetic field. Uh, It's a, it's a magnetic eruption. It's a magnetic storm primarily. And that's where the damage is. When it interacts with our magnetosphere on earth, it can cause all kinds of induced currents and weirdnesses and, and problems. And the charged particles, when they hit, can also be quite uh, devastating. A lot of high energy radiation in those. Yeah, clubs. and so
1: it's not it's not just like a, just unleashing neutrons at us that would just kind of pass through. I mean, because electrons are more devastating, mm-hmm. right? Because they're charged, so they interact with things as they pass through. But uh, neutrons are just like tiny bullets,
0: just cutting through whatever they hit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But they're so small. Well, it's electricity. Yeah. It's electricity. When you move electrons, you've got electricity. So you've got that coming at you on order of 10 to the 22 grams on a given CME. And that's a small one. So they can be much, much more massive and a heck of a lot more powerful. And, and the, uh,
2: the, the, the so, induction yeah. that, that that's caused can just cause mass amounts of damage to electronics and satellites. And if it's big enough, right, things here on the ground.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I told Dustin this really cool story. Uh, on Monday, a, uh, I got a lightning strike about a hundred feet away from our house, and I can tell you that trashed my routers and my oven has been trashed for, for some reason. Don't ask me why my oven got trashed, but you know that strike, what the the induced currents from that uh, ruined a lot of my electronics. I had to get a new router. I had to get a new. Um, uh, I have to get a new oven. So now. the <laughs> oven was
1: unrelated, though, right? You just. <laughs>
0: No, it was, they killed my oven. I guess the electronics in there were set, were not shielded very well or something, uh-huh. but you know how you have these digital displays in your oven, you know, turn it on, bake and set temperature right. and all that. That's dead. I can't, I mean, I, the yeah, oven just does the, that's
1: wife. what you're telling your wife. The lightning killed our oven. The oh lightning. yeah. I, I can't was supposed make to dinner make dinner, dinner for you, tonight, honey. Yeah. <laughs> the lightning, lightning <laughs> killed our oven. But,
0: but you will believe it. Yeah. That's going to be the excuse for quite a few things now. Oh, you remember that lightning show <laughs> we had a couple weeks back? I don't think, I think it ruined this, uh, this thing I have, uh, I can't do it.
2: Um. So, why else does astronomy matter? I mean, for one, watching a meteor shower. How cool is that? Like, do you remember the first time you saw
0: the Perseids oh, are right, What's up.
2: the date range for people who are who, want, who are interested?
0: Uh, I think it's negative. it's uh, I think it's in a week, but I'll get you know. The exact I, I got to be honest. The Perseids are. They peak on the 12th The, and the meteor
1: 30th. showers. I know you two get excited about them. They they've never done anything for me, actually. Like I've I've gone out to several trying to think, like, this needs to like this should be exciting. And the eclipses, You're not the doing eclipses it right are now. exciting, but you know, going out and just watching
2: the streaks, it's I don't know. It's something it just doesn't Are do you it for seeing me. the huge ones that like streak there's, across the whole sky? Yeah, I
1: don't know. It because just doesn't
2: the small ones I do not care about, where people are like, oh my gosh, a shooting star. Those do absolutely nothing for me.
1: Well, the last time I was there, there was this kid there too, and he was like Hey, make a wish. You know, make a wish. It's shooting star, and I was like, "Oh, that's really cute, super endearing," but then every single one, and it's it wasn't, it wasn't enough to make a wish. I also had to say the wish out loud, hundred wishes man, per hour. It was exhausting. <laughs> it was exhausting. I made so many wishes <laughs> that and night, wishes. and at the end, I wish that's this all I was away. thinking. I wish this meteor <laughs> shower like, was
0: over. Kid. Kid. I wish this meteor shower. <laughs> I wish, I wish one of them would hit <laughs> us right now. End it now. <laughs> NEO project failed. Just, just, just put me out of my hey, misery, make, please. Make a Where's wish.
1: It? Make a wish. What was your wish? No, what was it? It's like, oh, <laughs> oh, then we all die right now. It's just like, kids you don't want to know. You don't want to know.
0: Yeah, it's best. If I tell you, it won't come yeah. true. it's been six hours. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, they
0: just don't. They don't oh do it gosh. for me, man.
1: I don't know. Well,
0: how do you? Well, how do you? How do you observe them, man besides having a kid, an annoying kid around? What do you? What do well, you? Well, I watch when I'm. How do you? That's one thing. No wonder you don't like them. I mean, that's so yeah. That'll, that'll. The main get, way I watch him you. is that
1: I, uh, when I'm, you know, running my imaging setup, I watch sub after sub after sub where I have to delete them. Because they've got streaks through every
0: single image, man. Every image. Okay. See, let me get, let me give you some advice. Here's what you do. Get don't don't do that. Don't 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 invite your kids over. Don't don't set don't up your a telescope. Wish. You get out. Don't make a wish. You get your most comfy lawn chair and you sit down in that lawn chair. You know what you bring with you. Uh, uh you bring some art bag with okay you, okay and you sit down and you just sip on our bag yeah. all night long nice okay. bottle of scotch and you do that for a couple hours i'm gonna tell you you'll be a fan that's how i look at meteor showers and that's yeah, no, i love doing them. i look forward to it <laughs> sounds
1: like a good night and i really appreciate the advice don't share space with children don't
0: <laughs> yeah, don't, don't share yeah, the excitement it, of space the children. with children step what's no, Yo, you could do that, just not. If you're going kind to of share order. something with children, Tony
1: says it should be Ard bag
0: <laughs> that's, 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 No, that's too expensive. You don't give them that. Give them some, give them the old, uh, give them some we blended probably, yeah. We
1: probably need to be careful because we don't know our listeners, man. There could be somebody on here, it's like, really, is that what they're recommending? Do I give this kid scotch? Okay, right, I gotta go look, to look maybe it makes the kid up. enjoy right. it more. We are not recommending
0: you give yeah. alcohol to children,
1: <laughs> uh, we are not recommending that
0: without supervision, <laughs> without supervision, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's the way to uh...
0: no that's how you look that's how you do a meteor yeah. shower you don't sit there and try to do imaging for god's sake why, why would you image during a meteor shower anyway because you know that's going to happen yeah, yeah. so you should know don't do I don't that. know.
1: I'm probably just bitter about that, uh, that night with that kid, man. I usually, you know, it's the best thing is when you're uh doing astronomy and you've got kids around, you're showing them Saturn and everything. Watching kids get excited about it, that is the best feeling in the world is sharing space with kids, right? Yes. But that one kid, <laughs> that one kid definitely changed the way I, I feel I, about I, meteor showers. You
0: gotta share it. Yeah, I need to share some different kind of space with you kids. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put some space between me and you. We're going to enjoy a lot of space together. A lot of distance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well... I, 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 agree, but, uh, you know, meteor showers are for me time. They're there. And that's, I, I feel this way about lunar eclipses too. When there's a lunar eclipse, I do the same thing. I don't try to image it. I don't try to Instagram it. I don't do it. I just go outside and I set up my lawn chair and i grab some, some nice whiskey and I just watch
1: it. Do you still have that? Uh, that's, that's, that's a pretty fire, one. uh, medium or meteor shower dance you had. Do you still do that? Do you still get in that green suit? And uh that skin tight
0: I think you're projecting, man. That's you that does no, the green. We did suit. it together. What are you talking about? <laughs> I was in New York.
1: Damn it. I yeah. witnessed. <laughs> I just posted that I just posted that on Instagram. Did you see that? You dancing in the green the skin tight green suit? And it said, uh no, oh, I didn't man. see that yet, man.
0: Oh, was that? I got mentioned by. Oh, no wonder I'm yeah. getting all these followers. Yeah, it was okay. a story.
1: It had you dancing <laughs> in a skin tight green suit and then dabbing. And uh, yeah. then there was a couple of.
0: They're very flattering, those suits. They are. They are. They are so, yeah. Yeah they, yeah. they look pretty good yeah. on
1: everyone. I, think. I like It's <laughs> just a good look in general. It's good look. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm doing my like talk in suits. this weekend. <laughs>
0: Yeah, oh, good. Yes, <laughs> that way for later editing, we can edit you out. It's, it's, it's strange because no
1: other color really works. It's just the neon green that's the best one. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it's what you wear also to Area Fifty One. I mean, there's lots of lots of good lots of good occasions, you know, to wear a bright yep, green outfit. This is why astronomy matters, <laughs> Skin tight, green, right. <laughs> neon green suits. Okay. Well, one other thing before we run out of time, because what time is it? I don't even know how much time um, we've got left. But yeah. we gotta talk about yeah, we got about eight or Yeah, minutes I gotta roll out of here okay. for the airport in about six minutes. All right. Real quick, Ian, you wanna talk about Einstein and relativity, the rel- the the link between science and our daily lives yeah Go the for link it.
2: between science and our daily lives I mean everything we do is based off of science <clears throat> whether we like it or not you know flat earthers use their cell phone to look up information about how the earth is flat and it's <laughs> just, <laughs> like, just using <laughs> a GPS satellite
0: <laughs> 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 you know so i'm they're just hanging from the dome man they're just That's hanging right. from the dome it's but... like a big chandelier i mean we we have to thank
2: scientists and astronomers for everything that that all this technology that we have because they a lot of the time they're just doing this because they like science and they like mathematics and they're just saying hey look what i found out and it you know some engineer will kind of see their, their, their mathematics, their equations, read their papers and say, "Hmm, I can, I can use that for something that's actually practical, because let's be honest, a lot of the stuff that research or theoretical physicists and mathematicians are doing, it's not very practical until someone who works in the real world actually applies it. So one of the, <clears throat> I think it was Neil Tyson actually talking about it, but it was the Uh, There's a I believe it was a a astronomer trying to study, you know, specks of dust, interstellar dust uh, and found that there's some magnetic resonance um, that this dust has and wrote a paper on it and then. Uh, an engineer read this paper and said, hmm, we can apply this to humans and invented the magnetic resonance imager, which has applications in the medical field, totally separate from the astronomy field. But the crossover is actually there. And I think that kind of stuff is 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 amazing. It blows my mind that how all of this is just connected. And the same thing with GPS, right? <clears throat> we have GPS thanks to Einstein's theories of relativity, you know, and the GPS actually work because... Einstein's theories of relativity are actually correct. Right. You know, and it's, and we can compensate exactly. for it. Yeah.
0: And get accurate positions stuff like that,
2: that, that just, it, it blows my mind that, that any of this even works and how it all just ties together. You know, I think it's just an amazing fact.
1: I've got a list here of 12 things that says you didn't know were invented by NASA that you use in your day-to-day life. Okay. So this is, this is pretty interesting. This is where the funding is going for a certain purpose, like space travel, um, but then ends up providing something that people can use in their day-to-day lives. Um, Mm. So we've got, let's see, the first one is baby formula. So it was actually, they said, um, the fatty acids in formulae are essential for a baby's mental and visual health, uh, health. And they originally found it looking for a food supply for long space trips for astronauts. Wow. Yep. Computer mice. That's another thing because back when computers first came out, they were deciding they were going to start putting them on the, um, you know, space transport systems and, um, or the original ones, the rockets. And, um, they needed a way to easily interact with the computer. And I guess that wasn't, I mean, there was a time before that, huh. right? Uh, comfortable running shoes, cell phone cameras, cell ice, phone cameras, yeah. Ice resistant airplanes. This came for obvious reasons, right? Yeah. Send Something to space and it's going through. Yeah. So, um, scratch resistant lenses, huh. safer highways. So yeah, this one's pretty interesting too. They said, um, they were working to reduce the number of accidents caused by running off the runway, and so they developed the grooved pave- uh, pavement that you see on highways. That those grooves are to channel water off the interstate, and uh, it says that it immediately reduced uh, slippery highway accidents by a hundred percent. Wow! So, um, which seems like a pretty substantial number 100 percent 100 percent can be right unless i guess what that could mean is if they had that number at this point and then obviously the accident number is going to go up because there's more people on the roads each year but um but the cause of accident or that could just be a typo there's 100 (laughs) percent seems unlikely uh water filtration Hmm. is another one which makes a lot of sense in space yeah right you got to recycle your water
2: you got to as don pettit told us they drink their urine yep And you got, that's the best way to recycle your water. Yeah. That's
1: disgusting. I think it's the old, uh, the old piss and drink it technique.
2: That's right. status. Oh
1: man. Um, but yeah, they recycle their water up there. Survival blankets came from NASA. Invisible braces came from NASA and actually it wasn't for braces that they developed the uh, material. It was for, uh, let me see here for missile tracking technology interesting and then this one's probably the best uh temper foam the like Tempurpedic pedic mattresses oh, yes. that foam that foam came from nasa which if none of the other ones were there this one's worth it, it this it one's worth, worth it, it. Huh? yeah Tempurpedic pedic yeah. mattresses incredible um uh, <laughs> this podcast uh-huh. brought to you by Tempurpedic. pedic uh- <laughs> We are not sponsored <laughs> by Team Prophecy. No. No. What's your we are number? We are not. We are not. <laughs> we are not. Um, and then the last one is Better Tires. Oh. They, um, they had Goodyear working on um, a new material for their Viking parachute shrouds. And that material ended up being stronger than what they were using in tires. So they just moved it
2: to this new material.
1: Huh. Yeah, That's for radial cool. tires. Yeah.
2: Here's a cool one. It's not NASA. It's, it's CERN. But the World Wide Web came from CERN. I think that is, yeah. is, that's. I mean, if there's one thing I, I point to when people say, well, what's the point of science? What's the point of like doing research and stuff like that? Well, the World Wide Web that you use every freaking day came from CERN. Dude,
1: that's what I love the most is that people get on social media and start bashing science. It's like, did you just bash science on your connected cell phone to the internet? <laughs> Your electronic device yeah. that allows you to connect with yeah. all of
0: humanity. Sucks, what a waste. Yeah. <laughs> what a waste. Yeah, don't God, tell we me need about to go science. back what to... What's science done for we me We need to go back to the good old
2: days. The good old days when the earth was flat. Yeah.
0: Are you all with me? Yeah, well... <laughs> when, the, when the earth yeah. was flat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When the earth was flat, oh. Man. Oh, man. Yeah, definitely. Well, if there's ever a, a science that seemed to have no practical... Uh, applications at all. It would be quantum physics, but that even that is starting to, to start bear some, some practical fruit in the way of, in the, in the form of quantum computers and new ways. And, you know, they've just managed to, I think, control, uh, uh, what is it? uh, uh, Superposition uh, uh, of particles that are, that are interacting with each other at a distance. And so there's, if there was ever any science that I thought would be just, not have any practical benefits it would be quantum mechanics but it turns out that even that's not true so we've got things to look forward to at least with respect to that so all right well i thought we sorted it out have we have we convinced everybody out there why astronomy matters why it's important
2: i think so i think yeah was I, I was i was <laughs> did you guys leave <laughs> i was pretty convinced going into this <laughs> <laughs> or we scared people with with asteroids
1: coming to yeah. hit us That's all anybody's thinking about yeah, everyone everyone's
0: bunkers won't help you folks It doesn't, don't even try. Bunkers aren't going to help you. I think, I think we, I still don't know
2: what we're going to do about it. I don't think we have a solution yet, but maybe one day we will. After we get hit. Bunkers
1: might help though, right? I mean, they might. It's like, um, this podcast brought to you by Bunkers Plus.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Get your meteor insurance today.
0: Have you started your prepping yet? Apophis. Apophis. (laughs) Apophis Preppers, Inc get ready man get
2: ready. that's their slogan get ready man
0: uh, get ready man. <laughs> oh, man okay yeah well see i'm gonna make a lot of money coming the next few years when the gets yeah we really should i'm, I'm ready, ready we should start fear campaigns now and then right.
1: solve the problem later with the prophecy
0: yeah. oh my god that's that's just what we need. Something else to be get ready, afraid man. of. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's get. Hey, let's let, let that be the Space Junk Podcast <laughs> slogan. <Yeah. laughs> space Junk Podcast. Get ready, that, man.
1: <laughs> that's the, the funniest line for a uh, a Doomsday Company, though. <laughs> or like. Like, bro, it doesn't have to suck.
2: You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Or if not not get ready, man. How about you ready, man? Yeah. Uh, This podcast brought
2: to you by Apophis Inc. (laughs) Get ready, man. Yeah. (laughs) Get ready, man. Oh, my God. This is falling apart.
1: I got to get on an airplane, guys.
0: All right. So uh, I think uh, we're going to close it off here before we get too out of control. I want to, Dustin, you know, it says on my thing here, Dustin and Ian. But when I read it, it says it looks like Dustinian. So from now on, when you guys are together, I'm calling you Dustinian.
2: (laughs) The Dustinian Plague.
0: The Dustinian Plague. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess we will close out our podcast here, folks. On behalf of Dustin Gibson and Ian Lauer, I want to thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up.